0: Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I'm meeting with Ian Wilcox, CEO of GWT Insight, a tech company focused on making cost-effective commercial building data available to their owners operators, and advisors. Ian is an entrepreneur, leader, and visionary who successfully started new business operations from scratch, balancing strategic planning and practical implementation. Over a period of 30 years, Ian worked with companies including AT&T and Cognizant. And five years ago, Ian launched GWT Insights with his co-founders. During the course of our conversation, Ian and I discuss four topics. Who is GWT, insight from a company, brand, and team perspectives? Why both property and commercial building IoT are unique markets around which to build a risk mitigation ecosystem? Benefits delivered to the property and insurance markets, including preventative maintenance to prevention, lesson learned from moving to the entrepreneurial space after years working for large companies. Let's discover the world of commercial building IoT and insurance. Hi, Anne.
1: Hello, Sabine, how are
0: you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for joining me on Scouting for Growth
1: very pleased to be here. Thank you for the invite.
0: You're welcome and you know we always start the podcast with asking you who you are and what got you into our wonderful world of insurance because you started in telecoms and tech services.
1: I did and very much so and I think it's uh um, a world of, um, of operating in IT and software uh, around financial services generally. I found myself gravitating to consulting roles um, around innovation in the insurance space and, uh, and in particular more around sort of risk management and uh, uh, risk engineering services that the insurers uh, um, were delivering sort of 10, 15 years ago. And that's got me then very much into, uh, into that world and uh, very much enjoying it.
0: Superb. So you have been working with large companies, so you really understand established businesses. But then at some point, you made a shift, you became an entrepreneur. So tell us about Ian's journey from corporate to entrepreneurship. Um,
1: I had been delivering consulting services for about the last 12-13 years into the large corporates. And um had witnessed just how difficult it was for them to um marry the the, the need to obviously provide you know the the um, the structure and the control around sort of their investments and everything, and that was starting to, I think, hinder the the course of of being able to deliver on innovation. And um, I think there's a recognition around some of the partners that we we're working with, who are working with large tier one carriers, that they they needed to work with smaller startups. Um, I that at that time was working with the large. Uh, it uh indian-based it company and uh, um i think uh they recognize the fact that actually both those organizations when you were working together can't do that effectively and you need the agile and the flexibility and and the i think the speed to market of a startup to be able to do that and so um that led to the the formation of um uh, GWT from um, uh, GWT Insight from that, that, that position of recognizing an opportunity and knowing that actually we could do it better as a, as a startup rather than necessarily trying to do it within the, the large corporate uh, entities.
0: So doing it better as a startup. Tell us a little bit more about GWT Insight. I would love to know about the name, the Insight, <laughs> And how you transform the world of commercial building, I would say IoT, but I would say our risk transfer world of insurance as well.
1: Well, I think there were, there were so first of all, um, GWTI has been going for uh, just over four years now. Uh, and I, I would love to say having, um, you know, the, the once the, the company was formed and we had the, the genesis of the idea and we were very much starting to sort of look at you know product concepts and how we're going to technically deliver that we said right we've got to get the the name right and we we actually went to a brand consultant my my chairman is a very uh, um, he comes from a marketing background so we said we've got to do this properly because it's it's about the the brand presence because you can create far more impact um, not just in the technology and the services you're delivering but by actually getting the branding and the positioning right and we must have gone through 60 or 70 names. And unfortunately, we couldn't come up with anything that wasn't already used by you know, other people with URLs and things like that. So we ended up with um, the names of the founders as the initials. So John Giles, Peter Tuckett, and Ian Wilcox, GWT, but with the insights very much providing the insights around specifically commercial property. And I, and I think um, uh, we've very much now focus on its GWTI. Or GWT Insights, and and very much making sure that we've kept that positioning as a as a, a technology and, a, and now a data service provider into um, commercial lines and commercial property. I think uh, one of the other drivers, though, that was quite interesting and why we uh, we we felt that we needed to to go down this route was that um, albeit in commercial lines, property is one part of, and commercial property is one part of the risk exposure. We felt we needed to actually provide. A level of focus and bringing together an ecosystem that could help deliver on um the the need to have proactive and better risk information on which um your know, commercial property underwriters and their risk management colleagues are working on so uh there, there were there were a number of different drivers around that and helping to drive that innovation on a, on a faster quicker basis
0: so on one side you have the property commercial property and po- commercial property owners and then the yep other side you have the insurer risk managers which would actually potentially include i think the ranger the insurers the brokers can you tell us how the solution works how the bits work because i assume you put stuff right on those big properties
1: very much so and actually i think it's it's understood now by, by a greater range of people but um originally you know buildings when they're when they're built um they have a number of inbuilt sensors already there. So everybody talks about IoT, about, oh, you're putting new sensors in. But we actually recognised there were certainly thousands, if not tens of thousands. Our first building... Um, had 26,000 sensors that were already being monitored by the building management system. And they're covering things like you know, uh, set point temperatures, the actual temperature, return air temperatures, all the building, you know, all the boilers in, in, a, in a large commercial building. And this is across even, even your very standard office will have five to 10,000 data points. And so we recognised that there was an opportunity to go and pick up that data by listening to the existing in-house building management system, some of which which have been around for sort of 20, 25 years, uh, yet still have the ability to to share that information um, if you've got the right um, technology to do that. And that's what we then set out to um, develop a a device called the GWTI Observer, which listens to the building management system non-invasively, just listens to it in background, and then brings that um, real-time into a dashboard where you can then create... Um, a better understanding of risk. And we'll talk in more detail about how it works, but basically a dashboard that's aligned to the risk profiles that uh, insurers are looking to uh, to look at. You asked about commercial property owners, and actually I think when we were formed, sort of back end of 2017, 2018, um, it was in the very early days of people understanding that they could save money um, around how they use and consume energy and, and all of your energy, you know, water, electricity, gas, you know, all of the various elements. And I think now, obviously with rising, Utility prices and the fact that we've seen doubling, if not tripling of of energy price and cost, that actually people are now also very focused around energy optimization. And we see ourselves being able to also not only deliver on, on the governance part of an ESG model with the risk management solutions that we're developing with our partners, the insurers and their brokers, but now also being able to also deliver on commercial property owners' desire to actually deliver a better understanding of how their buildings are performing and reducing their operating costs on a month-by-month, quarter-by-quarter, year-by-year basis.
0: So you have a little bit of a marketplace, right, where on one side you're actually enabling the risk manager, let's call them the risk managers, to improve their ability to underwrite, I assume, price, but also how they manage claims, right, and uh, provide efficiencies, but also find ways to serve the customer better. I wonder whether we can do that real-time, but on the other side, you also have the risk manager, I assume, from the corporate viewpoint, where you can actually help them better manage their properties, reduce costs, but also Manage risk, so we see a little bit of a preventative offer here coming to play. So, how are how is the market responding? How are the corporation responding?
1: Good question. Um, I think if you look at the insurers first of all, um, the risk managers really they, they want real time data because, as you say, it's about loss prevention. And actually, in a l- number of instances, we we in our in our pilots and now our rollout programs we're doing with with our customers we've identified loss events, you know, even in one insurer um, who, who had a, a problem with their air handling unit on a, uh, uh, their air conditioning system in a comms room actually were able to spot there was a problem before it caused a leak. And, and they admitted if they hadn't have had that information, they would have had a loss event in a comms room in one of their, their offices, which was providing, you know, business interruption, it would have been a business interruption ch- um, claim uh, because it would brought down part of their IT and comms. So I, I, I think you know, the risk management um, within, certainly the insurer there there is an opportunity and they want that data and they can start to use on that. I think the underwriting community, we've still got a little bit of education to to move through. They, they, they have still very much a traditional view. Not Not every insurer, I would hasten to add, but a lot of them are sort of saying, "Well, we 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 need to see at least at least twelve months worth of data before we can judge whether we can actually improve the risk profile of a particular portfolio or individual building." And especially when you're looking at um, uh, complex commercial lines and specialty, you know that that can be um, more more difficult. And also, they don't have that building expertise. An underwriter um may not understand at that, that sort of level they are used to the cope um, sort of you know the construction occupancy purpose and environment but they the more specific ones about actually real time how is a building performing and can we actually because they're they're doing a fire alarm test on a more regular basis or they're doing them properly or they're pre- doing a lot of preventative maintenance around their in house um boilers and and HVAC equipment yeah you know, M&E equipment um I, th- I think that there's still a, j- a journey that we're on and a, a period of education. It will get there. That actually, nobody's saying, no, we won't accept this data. It's a case of we've got to change processes. We've got to change the the basis on which people underwrite. Um, and, and there are, I think there are um, certainly some carriers and, and their, their broker partners, their channel partners, who, who are starting to embrace that. With regards to the owners, I think... Um, is the classic sort of third split. You've got the third that are leading edge and will go, yep, we're going to embrace this. We risk manage all our properties. uh, And as part of an integrated risk management approach, so they see their property as one part in a supply chain or or their service delivery or if it's in retail in terms of delivering the customer experience. And I I think they very much embrace it and they will be um, and have been engaging and putting projects together and rolling out across their portfolios. You've got your third who's sitting in the middle going, this is really interesting. We're going, we're going to do something, but give us give us a year, give us 18 months. And then you've got your third who who don't risk manage really that proactively, and so th- they will be last. And, and I think, you know, there is... There was initially but i 'd say two or three years ago before the pandemic, there was a reluctance of saying oh this is this is just going to be a ways and means of of increasing premiums, but actually for both the insurers the brokers it's increasing margins you know we' we 've seen this actually we can reduce the the loss events um, and even if the loss does occur, we've got earlier ethanol, so we 're able to actually reduce the size of the claims and you know we we've, we've spotted claims that have been quarter of a million upwards, that we've been able to spot the lost event before it happened, so this is significant. And um, they, the business interruption element for the owners, because they can continue to use their property as part of whatever the the, the product or the service they're providing, actually, that is significant. So I, I think it brings a different approach, a more collaborative and partnership-orientated approach that the both the, the insurers and their distribution partners and the owners ultimately can see the benefits to to engage and do that and it will ch- i think it will change the way in which insurance is sold because it's it as you know you know when you've got the data you can make better informed decisions about how you're Managing your property, managing your risks, and how that impacts the rest of your business. Because, you know, I think you know, property you know it could account for you know twenty to thirty percent of the, the the overall premium on on, on a portfolio um, when you've got business interruption and public liability and all those kind of things, and if you know employee liability as well. So you've got got an area of the insurance paradigm and the the value chain that actually impacts sort of quite a quite a wide area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the physical risk, you already mentioned that you can use existing sensors. So we mentioned 26,000 sensors already available, and then you can add new sensors when there are gaps. And that is pouring uh, data, right? New data sets, which often we say in insurance, we are using old data set, historical data. So now we are starting using real time, you know, relevant data, as we look at property and risk management um, uh, approaches. Can you share with us, you know, example, or, you know, organization you have worked with, but also, you know, what type of benefits, you know, they are getting when they start using GWT Insight?
1: Yeah, well, um, our first, our foundation clients were, uh, AXA Excel, and when we first started working with them, actually, it was just before AXA acquired Excel um, Catlin. So uh, we started working with the uh, digital innovation team, um, Helen Stanway and, uh, and and her team back then. Um, AXA Excel now are, are, are one of our comf- uh, well established and confirmed. Um, uh, Carrier partners. also uh, with Zurich Insurance Company, um, working with, with Mark Bird and his uh, innovation team, off, off the back of actually, I think, the first Zurich World Championships that they ran, uh, Innovation World Championships that they ran back in uh, um, 2019, 2020. So very exciting for us. It was, it was a big challenge for us to, to work with them. But actually, I think both, with both of those organizations, uh, coming back to my earlier comment about working with a large corporate like um those two they actually embraced and were really um flexible about and and understood what it was like to to you know be a startup trying to work with an organization as big as as those two and and helped us and we we work with them to not only deliver a, um, a solution that from a data service perspective helps to differentiate what they're doing because they started off with very much uh, adding it as a, a, a service enablement or a, a, a service enablement, an additional service they are offering as part of either the insurance um, premium bundled or as a standalone service that they would offer into their clients. And we've got use cases now um, across a whole variety of different um, examples and verticals. You know, we, We're picking up data from real-time, from... Um, manufacturing units yes your standard offices but uh, hotels um schools hospitals um, um central government departments we're doing a lot of work with with um uh, both the mod but also with local authorities and certainly with, with zurich they've, they've uh, done very well in positioning it with local authorities and some of the use cases and some of the benefits we're looking at um yes there's uh picking up fire control data so you know when the alarm and if the if there is a problem with the alarm. Actually, it helps them to actually um, proactively go to their clients and say, "Have a look at this. This this could actually be something that could could cause a problem. Um, please, can you try and have a a, a look at this uh, on a real time proactive basis? Which I think is is. Um, part of the kind of service that they want to uh, um, offer to their clients, but we we even in some of the um, pilots and subsequent rollouts that we've done with uh, our insurance partners, we've seen loss events which we've been able to uh, um, identify and stop from happening. We we're big uh, um, with AXA and This is in the public domain. They they. Um, had a client uh, with an industrial baker, and um, they had a problem with their equipment where there was a leak developing, and we were able to actually see that happening with the sensor data we're picking up. I think what one of the other things that we've been able to uh, uh, help identify is the gaps in the data. So where the uh, data availability that you can then start to um, use, as you say, third party sensors, things around indoor air quality, obviously post-pandemic being able to pick up um, carbon dioxide levels um, and you, you can't have pathogen detection as such you bring together um, the the operating environment of, of a building to understand if the air quality is not good then it's going to have a higher propensity for spreading um, germs and, and bugs and pathogens that would potentially lead to you know uh, yeah, even covid but you know there's nothing that actually would ever detect covid at this stage but you could look at the environment the where it's, it's going to have a better chance if you haven't got the ventilation for example in place but i think the last element is actually the 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 benefits um i mentioned about esg earlier um we've identified i think in every building that we've been into and every portfolio there have been areas where we can um, help improve the operational efficiency of the building as well and provide a better customer experience for the owner's own customers or their employees and stakeholders. You know, so heating and cooling is, is a classic one where you know, the, the, the heating comes on in the morning, especially in spring and autumn. You have a building that actually is cold uh, up until about sort of 9 o'clock, 9.30, sun comes up, and then um, suddenly the cooling needs to come on. Or you don't necessarily need to heat as long and you don't need to cool as long. Or buildings that actually have air conditioning running 24 by 7. Those kind of things, I think, are um, in every building we can improve and optimize the way in which um, the, the basic controls of the building are set up and and, and can reduce, I think, energy costs by anything between Fifteen to thirty percent, and in some instances, we've had a couple of examples where we've actually managed to reduce the energy cost, consumption by by fifty percent.
0: These are impressive numbers. So, loss, you know, identification or prevention, in some ways, is part of what GWT Insight is able to to provide, as well as looking at ESG and identifying risk. Uh, that, you know, let's call it sustainability risk, right? Uh, Risk linked to ESG and improving an organizational uh, building owners, enabling and building owners to actually do better around their ESG roadmaps. Pretty impressive. But now to be able to do that, Ian, you already mentioned, you're working with property owners with insurers. And I assume you have a bigger ecosystem. It's funny because in November last year, I started, you know, doing some work around digital ecosystem. And I was very fortunate to do some work with CBS News on that topic. And some of the videos are going to start popping up. But to be able to grow today, we need to build ecosystem, business ecosystems with partners. So tell us how you're building yours and how you're bringing others into the GWT Insight family to achieve your end outcome?
1: Oh, great. Again, great question. I think we couldn't do this. We, we sit, I think one of the things we identified right from the start was that uh, as part of the risk management um, landscape, we, we are one part of it. You know, commercial property is one part of it there, there are other types of risks within that there are other types of infrastructure which we, we don't collect the data on and there are a number of different factors so a couple of examples we've got we're we working um you know the the external weather factors are, are a huge part so we're working with um people like provisico uh jonathan and avi and the, and the team there who uh, obviously the spin out from Loughborough university and um, and that's actually in partnership with the work we're doing with, with Zurich, where their real-time flood alert data coming in um, at a dashboard level. So we're, we're collecting all the um, individual property data and how that spins up into a portfolio view. And they've obviously got their flood alerts. And if you've got the portfolio view, literally, it's as simple as on a map where you've got the individual buildings all identified. And obviously, they've got their, their overlay of where the flood alerts, especially when obviously there's, there's high rainfall in a particular area. And that can be then aligned with their, um, uh, their, their, their obviously, their flood alerting system. And then we can then provide the data around what's happening individually at the building and any impacts. You know where, where uh, obviously there's there's um, humidity and, and um, moisture alerts in in buildings and things like third party supplementary sensors to look at water levels in and around the building. So that's very much one um, good example of an ecosystem. I think the other areas is around. Um, things in the risk management portfolio um so you've got a, a couple of providers in that area intelligent i and risk solved who, who are providing the the engineering reports and the wider wrapper of uh, information both historic and then proactive around you know How was the building originally designed? What are the original design photographs? Obviously there's um, uh, designs and and the the diagrams and we can overlay onto that, obviously, what's happening with the building. How was it originally designed to operate? And, and how is that now performing? Because that also can sort say, was it designed in the right way? And should there be modifications to improve the way in which And that ties very much into, yes, the ESG part, both from a, you know, the, the environmental and sustainability piece, but also the governance of how the building should be managed so those are a couple of examples there will be other ones coming along um, you know we're looking at um indoor air quality you know where um supplementary fitting of, of um, uh, very sophisticated um air quality sensors that are uh, detecting pathogens uh, even in food prep uh with with surface detection you know, there's people like are they air who are doing that work there's a um, couple of north american organizations that we're starting to look at who are doing the um uh, pathogen detection around that we that's a very specialist area and they will be providing um i think real-time data on that those kind of areas that will all come then into a centralized dashboard now whether we provide that dashboard or whether actually we're providing an api of our real-time data into somebody else's dashboard we're very flexible as to how we approach that and we see also that there are some very good analytics tools especially around the um sort of the scenario kind of planning especially around how buildings will operate in the future if they change certain um you know the building setup or the way in which the the business is operating and the processes within that and so that may be also another area where we're feeding our real-time data into other people's third-party analytics packages we we are here to capture the data and i think one part that's very interesting as well is, is making sure that data is standardised so then when it is fed into other systems you're comparing exactly the same you may have different building management systems in a variety of different properties you know a portfolio could be 50 100 500 buildings and you need to be able to compare even though it's coming from different systems that data is for an air handling unit with the set point with the room temperature with the return air temperature is all exactly the same or the boiler is operating this particular way the biggest, the most complex areas is metering, for example, and being able to pick up that sub-meter data and being aligned to the overall building infrastructure. So I'd say the, the UK system for us is is critical and, and we, we are very much a, a cog within that wider commercial alliance proposition.
0: Well, a lot of insight here, but I hear specialism, 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 and um, it's lovely also to hear you working with Jonathan from Provisico and uh, Anthony from Intelligent AI, because you have absolutely complementary capabilities, which then start building really interesting solutions. But as I'm hearing specialism, and you know that the world is going a little bit funny right now, right? Interest rate increasing, inflation, cost of capital going berserk, and finding talent is really hard. How's it been to actually lead a team and build culture at GWT Insight? How's your team?
1: Well, um, you're right. It is. It's very, very hard in today's environment to to grow a business. Um, I think uh, the pandemic. Yeah, we we were we were four or five people um, at the beginning of the pandemic. We're now uh, thirteen people and growing. We're we're going to add another four or five the rest of this year, rest of twenty twenty two. And I think. Um, from from a cultural perspective we we're very much um because we've we are we we are small and fast growing everybody joins um even the most um the youngest most experienced inexperienced members i refuse to call anybody be junior because there's no juniors because they are given responsibility right from the start i'll give you an example we we've employed um, uh, a young, a young man called Tom, who as uh, a developer uh, on apprenticeship scheme in the UK, he's retrained. He was actually a policeman, would you believe? Uh, and what, what a, what a, what a, a swap for in career. And he's hit the ground running. He's been with us three months, and he's already delivering value in terms of creating um customized dashboard for our customers he's doing a lot of work around our core products as well which we're doing you know very very much in parallel around our core development and making sure we're staying on the leading edge of of technology and what we're how we're architecting and delivering our solutions but also then working very much on customer projects to help deliver the customized dashboards they need and and he's hit the ground straight away um, our, our, our first employee, um, Tim, he's now very much leading the way and working with our CTO John around um, how we're utilising and bringing in things like AI into um, the way in which we're delivering the data service. We we want to create intelligent products for our clients so they actually can then differentiate what they're doing. And so they one way of putting them all on courses so they can improve what they do. So I think from a culture perspective, our, our team have to better themselves they want to they have to join with a, a view that they want to improve what they're doing and they have value to add right from the start We're run a very flat structure where whereby you know they, they very much contribute to the overall product strategy and what we're doing and that they can see and tangibly feel and measure the value they're delivering to um, our clients and we we very much have set that up as well where they have skin in the game as an organization. Um, So yes, we're, we're young and, and I'd now describe us as we've moved from startup into scale up, but they all have direct input into the the believers and the factors that will help us deliver on that growth. And we're very, very clear uh, in our vision. So they understand where they fit within that and um, what their contribution is to that. um, And, 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 what um what that means while at the same time learning we all make mistakes it's it's also an environment where you know a mistake is good because actually as long as we learn from it then actually we we grow as an organization and as individuals Um, but you know it's it's a team um a team um, approach around that very much so
0: Absolutely, I mean, I think teams are the ones which are able to, to change the world. But at the same time, Ian, I'm also thinking about you know, your years of expertise, I believe, you know, over 30 years in industry. So what yes. have been for you, You know the lesson learned from moving from established company to building a startup, moving into scale-up. What are the top criteria you think are key from your expertise and from what you're building today, to build a successful growth venture.
1: Um, and, and and I think experience and as you say, thirty years in the industry, um, I think teach you that it, it's it's a, it, you're only as good as the people around you. So it's the team. Uh, you know, we right from the start, um, we all said that the, the John, Pete, and I as founders, we said. Um, you know, Pete is a building expert. We couldn't have delivered the uh, understanding that we've now got of the, the the rules and the checks of how risk impacts buildings and of. Uh, being able to provide an understanding of how buildings are working in the solution that we're delivering to people who don't have that same level of understanding. So Pete's experience from a building, engineering, building automation perspective, and helping to feed that into the solutions that then risk engineers and underwriters can use. And also um, John, from the background of his enterprise architecture background, his technical expertise. And so right in terms of from the founders through to actually everybody else in the team, I think it was the fact that you can't do it all on your own and i know it's the 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 classic thing that sort of um, entrepreneurs are the world's worst people for for letting go and not having control but actually i've got a i've got a chairman who is and it is very personal to us we've all known each other i think i've known everybody in the organization for 15 to 20 years plus you know we we employ people that that actually i've even i've seen growing up so it is a very personal story, but at the same time, we have people who have global international experience. My chairman ran a, a company that was sort of 5,000 people globally. Um, and I think it's that that balance between having a good understanding of what corporates need for us to engage with them professionally with the right processes and, and delivering what we say we will on time and, and with a good quality product or good quality service. Um, but recognising that actually it's, it's a team effort. And that also includes, you know, you mentioned about the ecosystem, you know, we recognize we can't do that from a solution perspective. And I, we're very focused on we capture real-time data from buildings. Commercial buildings. That is it. We're not going to try and do anything else. Um, we're very focused on that, and that leaves room to then work with people who are like minded. You have mentioned Proviso and Intelligent AI. They're very focused on what they're doing, and I think that really does set up a very strong ecosystem. And we're not exclusive. We can work with other people, and we will. But actually, uh, I, I think that's what's attractive for um, our current partners, and we've got a number of very strong prospects in the. the distribution, reinsurance and carrier space that I think recognize that um, you know, we, we've got through the first sort of 12, 18 months of getting the concept to the ground, developing, you know, products that were being technically tested. And now we're rolling those solutions up as proven solutions on a global basis, you know, in North America, Europe and, and now into Asia as well.
0: That's super cool. One point you made, which I think I would like to reinforce, is that building ecosystem can actually drive differentiation and uniqueness. I was on a podcast recently with Simon Torrance and we were talking about embedded finance, embedded insurance. But one of the key points he made was he started like you in telecoms. And one thing which fascinated him is that telecom providers are really good at building infrastructure. And they were providing that infrastructure to big tech, knife, Think about Facebook, LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And when, at, at some point, he made that realization that at the end of the day, by being an orchestrator and becoming, if you don't mind me saying, this puppeteer between the customer and different parties, you can actually build very unique ecosystems and make more profit and economic returns for your shareholders than anybody else. So there's why things think about when we think about ecosystems
1: very much so i would agree and i think actually um, learning from my telecoms experience actually albeit was 20 plus years ago is actually you don't have to go necessarily with the traditional capex model as well you know our whole business model is based around subscription so you buy a data service which um then is, is integrated with a wider set of services, that ecosystem. And so it enables you to provide a return on investment far earlier in a project process than would otherwise be the case with a proven technology that then can be incrementally rolled out across that portfolio, you know, doing, doing regions at a time or doing propositions step by step means the one you can fail quickly if it is or you know position the service quickly and easily to then test it in the market and say yeah that works that doesn't work we'll focus on this so that that whole my telecoms experience if if, if that was one area would be definitely the subscription model um definitely leveraging the the, the, the strong capabilities of other players and being able to uh, also use that to um i think the service proposition, I think, also then helps differentiate insurers. Insurers are under pressure from lots of entrants from other markets. You, you talk about sort of Google, you know, infrastructure providers such as Google or AWS or or, or any of those sort of uh, players. Even in the BMS industry, there's uh, the, the building controls industry. There are people looking at different areas and. I think um, it enables the the insurance companies to actually say, actually, we can also innovate and come up with different kinds of services that are not necessarily tied to insurance product. And I think that's one they're more profitable. You know, if you think the the average premium markup, uh, percentage markup for for a commercial property, even if it's you know a five to ten million prop, um, premium. You know the margins are still very, very tight. Uh, you know, I know the margins that they can deliver out of services are up to, you know, twenty, 20 to fifty percent higher than they would on the actual insurance product. So I, I think it will see a change um, and a shift in terms of their, um, you know, the markets that they go for and how they position those propositions into their markets and with those clients.
0: Technology data digitization is enabling us to do a lot of things and actually ian i want to ask you my futuristic questions what are your top and where do you see us going as we move forward in our industry
1: um i i i I can only comment from a a commercial lines and and property perspective I, obviously in motor you're seeing you know pay as you go and things like that do i do i see buildings going in the same way um possibly i i, I do think um i i've had uh, discussions with people saying, "You know, you, could you could you deliver a parametric solution around uh, buildings?" Um, I think you could actually, because you can you can look at you know very predictable events. You can then look at yet yeah, um, automatic payouts of claims based on the replacement cost of key equipment around mechanical and electrical equipment. It is possible. I know in in motor that's been around, or, or certainly in in um, certain asset classes around personal lines. Um, I think parametric might. I certainly think um, data-enabled, pure data-enabled models will come to the fore. I think you'll see um, some reinsurers and carriers uh, going with certain um, distribution partners with a a pure data-enabled model for certain types of business. It could be just focused around distress or it could be around captives. And I think the value-add around captives where, coming back to the whole service enablement and the proposition that's utilising the risk management expertise, um, I, I think that could be a, an area where we could improve the performance of distressed um, uh portfolios as well as obviously uh, playing into the larger corporates who have only gone down the captive model because their costs are rising they may actually seek to um spread that risk and and um, and share it on a bit uh, a wider basis so that that's that will be my my crystal ball at the moment it's i um i'd like to be more radical but i think that's actually uh radical enough as it is for uh, what is a very traditional uh, uh, part of commercial lines.
0: (laughs) You're right, and it's complex as well. So I often think Mm -hmm. that we probably are still scratching the surface in in insurance. We probably have done less than 1% of the amazing things which we could do from still using historical data, but that enriching birth historical data with new data set uh, to prevent, predict and enable big commercial players and smaller ones right we are not even looking at all the different commercial uh type of uh assets which are existing out there uh and so a lot of work need to be done and a lot of money needs to be changed in the way we do things you know we are dealing with 338 years old market which <laughs> right with a lot of people who do things in a specific way
1: very true very true
0: so we know we are going through, you know, a little bit of a turbulent time. You know, you have amazing customers already, but as a growing business, you may actually seek investment in the future. And I love also talking about the purpose of this podcast, which is about corporate venturing. Okay. And when you look at the future, Ian, you know, how do you see investment? How do you see your your growth coming not only from your partners but for potentially from the investors which are going to bet on you.
1: Um. Well, to facilitate the growth, you know, we, we're you know we we're, we're now into our um our, our fourth well into our fourth year and um, we're profitable. We're growing. Um, we were lucky enough to be generating. We we had um, four initial. Um, angel investors as such seed investors and we've been able to actually um uh fund the earlier stage of the business and and in parallel start to because of the subscription model generate our own revenues from an early stage so we've been able to sort of bootstrap it um with with uh the the founding investors and ourselves um funding it um but now we're reaching an inflection point where we one we need to um really kickstart the growth. So geographic expansion into supporting basically our North American partners and our North American infrastructure. We've got Kurt Kurt Kramer, who's leading our um, North American venture. Uh, We've now got clients, uh, as we said, global insurers who are taking us into Europe and and the Far East, as well as North America. And so we will be seeking investment in 2023. Um, We are researching who's interested who has an appetite i think our, our business model is uh, attractive because you know subscription-based we're profitable yes we need to invest in um people processes infrastructure uh we need to also you know we, we we've got both the hardware and the software components to the solution so we need to uh um, sort of ensure ourselves from any supply chain issues so you know um we're we, pretty good at the moment we we've got uh, 12 months worth of hardware supply but we need to actually extend that so that's where the investment will come in to help give us the uh the cushion and the security to be able to uh buy sufficient stocks in advance you know we've got certain components that are on six plus month um lead times and so we've gone 12 months out and we'll continue to sort of extend however far we need to go um but that that investor could be um, could come from the industry uh, or come, could come from outside. Um, we, It's somebody basically who buys into the culture that we've already talked about, but also buys into um, the fact that insurance will change we are going to be a catalyst for that change um along with our other ecosystem partners and um i think uh, we've got a very exciting sort of three to five years ahead of us and that's that's how long we see the journey but actually how how excited we are about you know being able to help drive changing the industry and deliver on that and so we'll be um seeking partners um who, who can help us on that journey who may bring their own um network of of opportunity or it could be that actually that uh, it's somebody who just sees an opportunity to to get into a new market but uh, so i'm going into it you know um philip and i are going to it uh, eyes wide open ready to uh, embrace uh, what uh, the next 12 18 months will hold from a funding perspective
0: yeah, and, you know, you need to give yourself some time. I often say to young ventures, you know, think about your funding. It would probably take 12 months. Now with the current market, you know, high cost of capital, VCs are going to be a little bit more demanding. And so you're lucky because you're you are still early stage. So they want, you know, well-baked, not too high valuation. So remember that. But actually, I've seen a lot of corporate VCs doing very well because they are prepared to, long, to wait longer. And maybe a top tip, look at insurance for sure mm-hmm. as an investment platform, but commercial property, real estate investors will likely be as well a great place for you as well to consider.
1: I think you're right because they see the opportunity of being able to make better decisions with data than they currently have at the moment and, and they're in a the market and if you look at the traditional asset manager or, or facilities manager they, they've had their margins you know eroded over the last few years and this is you know data enables them to actually um, start to provide a better service so they can improve the, the the margin performance of the services they're providing into their clients as well mm-hmm. so I, I would I would very much agree
0: yeah. So, what are the last few words you would like to tell our audience and listeners, Ian?
1: Oh, wow! That's a that's a hell of a, that's a killer question at the end. That is Sabine. <laughs> I would say um, we we are still at the very early stages of of how data can be used how you can create intelligent products from the data that we're capturing around buildings that feeds into the wider ecosystem and i know anthony and jonathan would say exactly the same from the the perspectives of their solutions but i think it's an exciting journey we're literally at the, the, the the first part of where the journey could take us in terms of the possibilities to add value, not just insurance, but into the wider world of you know everybody uses ESG, but you know let insurance never underestimate the governance part, the risk management that they can deliver around the governance part of the G in ESG is absolutely fundamental because if you don't have the processes and the governance, the the E and the S just don't operate. You need to understand how people are utilizing all of your infrastructure and you need to understand actually how you can make that deliver on a sustainable basis to deliver the environmental part. And I think that would be my parting shot. The data will drive the value.
0: Beautiful words. So where can people find you?
1: Uh, You can find us uh, at um, gwtinsight.com um we've got uh, a a revamp to the website that's just gone live um you can um follow uh, from the website you can talk to me directly you've got all my contact details and the wider team my colleagues uh, philip um john and pete uh and the wider team we're all all on there everybody's got a picture um so uh yeah you can find us there and uh i think you'll you'll hear a lot about us over the coming uh the coming few uh, weeks and months as we're uh, raising our profile.
0: Well, I can't wait. And also I will add, you can find Ian on LinkedIn and I checked as well today. Yes. on LinkedIn. And he has a, very, a mobile number there. So
1: <laughs> I, I'm accessible, definitely accessible. <laughs> accessible. Yes.
0: Thank you, Ian, for giving me some of your time today.
1: Uh, pleasure. And thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you, Sabine. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van Der Linden. Thank you.